Thank you for joining me for worship. Today is the second Sunday in the Lenten season. Our order of service is in our bulletins. We're going to begin with hymn number 529, Built on the Rock. Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
Alleluia. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Alleluia. John chapter 4 verses 5 to 26 this is the account of Jesus visiting with the woman at the well in Samaria so Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, I, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons, and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. 
Let's continue with our second hymn, hymn number 446, I am trusting you, Lord Jesus. Sunday in Lent is our epistle reading from Romans chapter 4. We're looking at Romans 4 verses 1 to 5 and 13 to 17, where the Apostle Paul wrote, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. 
as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Let's bow our heads for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who art our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear fellow believers in the Christ, there was a pastor whose name was George Needham. He was going to visit a man who happened to be quite rich and a socially prominent man. Anyway, he went to visit this man and he found the man being very, very busy. And so he kind of apologized at first for getting in his way. But then he said to the rich man, well, I'd really like to ask you a quick question. And the rich man allowed him to do that. And the question was this, are you a Christian? To the question, the rich man said, no, but I'm trying to be one. When George Needham heard that, he asked then, well, how long have you been trying? The rich man said, oh, about 12 years. And to that, George Needham said, Permit me to say you have been very foolish. Taken back by that statement, the rich man said, well, what do you mean by that? And Needham kindly, calmly said to him, you have been trying for so many years, yet you haven't succeeded. If I were you, I'd give up trying and start trusting. As Needham left that man's house, he wondered if his visit was something that would have been worthwhile, if there could be some results. And what happened is he was a little bit surprised because that evening the rich man showed up at his church for a service. And, and when Needham looked at the rich man, he he looked at his face and he saw a joy and a peace there in his face that he hadn't detected in looking at him earlier in the day. And after the service, what happened is that the rich man, the visitor, said to the pastor, I have been foolish indeed, wasting 12 precious years of life, vainly trying when salvation could have been mine by simply trusting. Natural man tells us that there really is something, or the, the force within every one of us, natural man, that force tells us that there, there has to be something that we need to do, that we need to do that would make us worthy and acceptable before God. That's why, for example, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's why, that's why at funerals, 
You hear people saying about the person who has passed away, oh, he or she was a good person. And actually, it makes sense that people would say that because that's the way natural people think. If he was a good person, then surely he should be able to get into heaven. But that's not the Christian way. That's not what the Bible says. Wouldn't you much rather hear, instead of saying, oh, she was a good person, wouldn't you much rather hear people say, she was someone who was a believing child of God. She knew that Jesus was her Savior. Being a good person doesn't get us to heaven, but faith in Christ does get us to heaven. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to us today a little bit through his letter to the Roman Christians. Like Pastor George Needham he, with that wealthy man, well, what Paul is getting us to think about is trying or trusting. Are we trying to work our way to heaven or trusting in Jesus to get us to heaven? Paul reminds us here as we look at our reading that good works, they can't save us. But faith does save us and faith gives and guarantees eternal blessings. Paul's letter to the Roman Christians is a, a treatise on justification, we could say. In, in Romans, the first three chapters, what Paul is doing is he's talking about sin and guilt and condemnation which are common to all people by nature. That's what our lives are filled with sin and guilt and because of that what we would deserve is eternal condemnation. But then he talks about Christ and the righteousness of God. How Jesus takes our sin and guilt upon himself and pays the condemnation that we deserve because of our sins. The answer to the problem of our sins. But, but what gives us access to Christ's righteousness, to Christ's holiness? It's not our being good. It's our God-given, God-worked faith in Jesus it's the Word of God working on our hearts, the Holy Spirit working on our hearts so that we'd have this God-worked, God-given faith in Jesus, our Savior. And then to prove that from Scripture, what Paul does is he looks back to that one Old Testament character that the, the Jews would look to and say, he's an example that shows that a person is saved by his works. And that's what Old Testament people might have thought. Well, Paul asked the question, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Is a person saved by trying to do his best or by trusting? Paul continues, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. If Abraham's works made him right 
What he could do is he could pat himself on the back and say, look at me, look at what I have done. And now the Jews pretty much would agree that Abraham had a right to do that because of the things that he did. But Paul goes on to say very clearly that Abraham's works couldn't save him, nor can our works save us either. An Englishman named Ebenezer Wooten had just cons concluded a worship service in the village square when a young man came up to him and asked the question, Mr. Wooten, what must I do to be saved? And now Wooten sensed that this man was trusting in his own righteousness, his question similar to what the rich young ruler had, had asked, if you think about it. Well, when he heard that question, what must I do to be saved? Wooten said to him, it's too late. And the young man had a very, very startled and shocked look on his face. And, well, then he was wondering, well, what, what do you mean it's too late? And then Wooten said to him, you want to know what you must do to be saved. I tell you it's too late. Your sins and therefore your works condemn you but the work of salvation is done, completed, and finished on the cross by, by Jesus. It was too late for him to do anything to save himself, and it was impossible for him to do anything to save himself. It's up to Jesus to do what needed to be done. Well, Paul said, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed because God had created faith in his heart. Because God created that faith in his heart, well, instead of being charged with his sins, Abraham was credited with God's righteousness, with God's holiness, with Jesus' holiness. Paul said, now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Well, when something a gift, when is it wages? It's wages when you work for it. It's gift when you don't work for it. And scripture plainly says, the gift of God is eternal life. Therefore, everything that has to do with God's righteousness, with with salvation. It is, as Paul says here, the gift of God. Paul says, however, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Paul is here talking about Abraham not as someone who works, but as, as he says, the man who does not work. That is, he isn't doing things to earn heaven. He's doing things, he's living a life of faith, but not to earn heaven. God came to Abraham. God worked in Abraham. God made his promise to Abraham. And God gave Abraham faith so that he believed in the promises of God. And now see, it's Abraham's God-given, God-worked faith that saved him. 
He wasn't saved because of his works, but because the Holy Spirit was working in his heart. Oh, the signs on the telephone poles all said, free car wash. And there was this distinguished man who was looking at those signs and he was seeing all these young people in the church parking lot with their sponges, their hoses, and their buckets, and they were washing cars left and right. Well, with a bit of amazement on his face, he said, I don't get it. There's got to be an angle. Nobody does anything for free. There has to be a catch or a gimmick. Then he, then he said, oh, I get it. I bet they will ask for a donation after they're done. And his, his comments just remind us how suspect a free offer often can sound. Oftentimes young people do wash cars like that and then afterwards they do ask for a donation to go to a retreat or a mission trip or to help out victims of an earthquake or a hurricane or something like that, right? Free offers are often viewed with a little bit of skepticism for that reason. And it's such a tragedy that faith and God's free gift of salvation is also often viewed with skepticism like that. But scripture says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift. It is not wages. It is not our works. It is not our being good. It is the gift of God. Well, Paul said, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. And during his ministry, Jesus had said, Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Since Abraham, and each one of us for that matter, is a sinner and is far from perfect, we have fallen short of the glory of God and we can't receive anything from God on the basis of the law, on the basis of the deeds that we do. But what did Abraham and each of us who's a believing child of God, what do we receive by faith? Well, by faith. It says that we receive all things. It says that we're heirs of the world, thinking there especially about the, the new heaven and the new earth that the Lord is going to create or recreate when he returns the place where believers will live forever after this life. Well, Paul said, for if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Well, Paul wants us to recognize if it were possible for us to be saved by keeping the law, then really faith is totally useless. 
There's no point. There's no point. But since Adam and Eve fell into sin, all people are sinners and rebel against God. And what does the law do? The law just reminds us of that fact over and over again, that we've sinned, that we've broken God's law, that we can't save ourselves. The law points out that which is sin, and actually what it does is it can make a person more angry and more rebellious against God. How many times have we been frustrated, for example, by a command or directive that God has given to us? You know, in a sense, we're just like the child who gets frustrated at, or even angry with his parents because of the restrictions that they may place over them. Because of our sinful pride, our stubbornness, we want to rebel against the fact that God has said that we can't get to heaven by keeping the law that we can't earn those blessings, but that the, the law, it's there to serve our eternal good, to serve as a guide for us in our lives. Our sinful pride wishes that there was something that we could do to earn heaven. Well, Paul said, therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Oh, imagine for a second that what Jesus did is after he died on the cross, after he rose from the dead, he said, I've done my part. Now it's your turn. You do your part to earn your salvation. If he had say, said that, we never know if we've done enough or if we were good enough. And, well, for that matter, if we'd look honestly at the law, it, if Jesus had said that, we would just spiral down in depression because it would only show us our sin and show us the impossibility of our salvation. But because salvation and God's blessings are through faith in what Christ has done. That's why our salvation is something we can be absolutely sure of. God's blessings are guaranteed to us through faith in Christ so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Paul said, as it is written, I, that's God, have made you, Abraham, a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. The fact of the matter is, is we were dead in our sins. We faced eternal punishment. That's what we deserved. But God grabbed a hold of us and made us spiritual descendants of Abraham, part of God's believing family. He made us alive in Christ. He made us heirs of heaven. God did everything for us.
years ago, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, they found the frozen body of a former atheist in a snowbound cabin. And, and when they found him, they found a note that he had written to his mother, which said, the question that haunts me as I face death is not whether there is a God, but how I, as a sinner, can face him. His problem? Instead of trusting in Jesus as his savior, he felt he needed to try to do something to be ready to meet God. That's the natural way. That's where everybody would be apart from faith. And, and even as believing children of God, we always have, because of our sinful nature, this temptation to believe that way. But trying or trusting, how blessed we are to ultimately know that it's not our trying to do something that gets us into heaven. It's trusting in what Christ has already done. Trusting in what Christ has already done that saves me and guarantees me God's eternal blessings. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the Nicene Creed. It's printed in the bulletin beginning on the bottom of the second page. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism, for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, you see that we have no power to defend ourselves. Guard and keep us both outwardly and inwardly from all adversaries that may afflict the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. We pray through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let's also keep in our prayers, oh, now we keep in our prayers Deb Spitzley dealing with heart and kidney issues, Paula Burris, her leg infection and circulation issues, Mary Glassbrook recovering from knee replacement surgery, Jan Camp dealing with cancer, cancer surgery, and, and Julie, a friend of Lisa Vanderlee, whose health is failing also because of cancer. Let's pray for these part members of our extended church family. Lord God, please be with these people. If it's according to your will, grant them healing, but especially keep on giving them your grace and mercy and love. Give them that strength that they need to deal with the problems they're faced with in life. And, and we pray that for all of the members of our church family. And today we also think last Sunday, Don Janicki was called home to his eternal home in heaven. We thank you, Lord God, that in your grace and mercy, you called him to faith, you made him a believing child of God, and you made him an heir of eternal life in heaven. Comfort his loved ones with that wonderful hope that is ours, knowing that through faith in Christ, we can look forward to a blessed reunion in heaven. And we continue to keep in our prayers the situation up at Michigan State University with regard to the shooting that was there, Lord. We would ask you to please keep us always safe in your loving care. We know we live in a sinful world. We know that its problems are always going to be around us. But what a blessing it is to know that in you, dear Jesus, we're safe and secure. And we gather up all of the prayers we have as we join in praying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Let's join in singing our prayer for our country. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America, my home sweet home. Thank you again for joining me for worship today. Just a couple quick announcements to share with you yet. 
Today is Brett Harrell Hubert's birthday. Wednesday, Caitlin Greathouse. Thursday, Josh Christmas. Saturday, Gary Kunkel and Brenda Parisian have birthdays. And oh, this next weekend, that's also that dreaded weekend, daylight savings time begins. You're supposed to spring ahead at two o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning and lose an hour of sleep. Someday we'll get smart and we'll get rid of that, I think. But in our congregation this week, Wednesday is our third Lenten service, Wednesday Lenten service. Pastor Berger from Shepherd of the Hills in Lansing will be here talking about Jesus' final steps led to his enemies. We have a soup supper at 5.30 and a service at 6.30. I'll be up at Emmanuel for, well, two services there, 3.30 and 6.30. Probably see if I can be here for a little bit of the dinner as well. Thursday, we do have a council meeting at 6.30. Those are our announcements. Please look at our prayer list and remember to keep all of our church family, our extended church family in your, in your prayers. As I'm recording this, I'm looking at all the snow that came down. May the Lord keep us all safe and secure as we face this winter weather again. The Lord bless and keep you.